Our mission, we're about helping people find and follow Jesus. We're going to continue in our series. We've been, we started the series some time ago. We're walking through the book of Romans. I've been calling this uh, How God Makes Bad Men Good, the book of Romans. And so if you would, open your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. We're going to be in verses 12 through 21 this morning. Uh, this morning, a sermon I'm calling One is Greater Than One. Hopefully you appreciate that title, and I think you maybe see why I'm calling it that here in a second. But um, it may seem, if, you, if you're like following along line by line, verse by verse, it might seem like we skipped some verses. But in fact, we did not skip some verses. Back when we came back from the COVID lockdown, uh, I went through a very short sermon series I called Pastor John's Favorite Verses. Well, Romans 5 verse 8 is one of my favorite verses, and so we covered that the two years ago. I don't know. It's been a long time. So we're going to kind of gloss over that. I'm going to mention that in the, in the text today, in the sermon today. But we're going to start off in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. And I think the scripture that we're going to cover today, I think many of us in this room are very familiar with, but we don't know. Like, we don't have it memorized. Because there's some scripture, like, uh, let's, the, the Christians just have down pat. Clearly, John chapter 3, verse 16 is one of those verses. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Or maybe even 2 Corinthians five seventeen, which says, Therefore, if any was in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Or maybe you, you, one of your favorite verses, maybe your go-to verse is Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. This says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And I think those are some verses that probably most of us have memorized, okay? But how many of us have memorized the second half of Romans chapter 5? Probably not many of us, right? Uh, I imagine, okay, Romans chapter 5, verse 8, like I mentioned earlier, that might be one that you've got down, which says, but God shows his love for us that while we're still sinners, Christ died. Okay? But why don't we know the verses that follow? If you, if you had to cover it up, tell me what comes next. Probably most of us couldn't say for sure. And I, I think maybe some reasons for this, if you're in your habit of reading through your Bible every year and you get towards the end of the year and you get to the book of Romans and, and you read Romans 5 verse 8, you're almost like kind of overwhelmed of what the truth is found in that scripture and just kind of finish Romans chapter 5. Or, or, or maybe possibly you're just kind of glance over the, 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 the second half of Romans chapter 5 because you're just so very encouraged what happened in the first half. Well, this is my plan for us today. I think we need to very slowly and very methodically walk through the text at hand. Because Romans chapter 5, it shows us just how assured our salvation is. But it also tells us where our sin nature came from as well. The message that Paul is trying to communicate throughout this entire letter written to the church at Rome is that forgiveness of sins and access to God is provided through one person. And that one person is Jesus Christ. Okay? And really, if you think about it, that flies in the face of the Jewish belief during that time. Well, really, people have always, they've always thought, well, if we're going to be forgiven of our sins, and if we're going to have access to God, if we're going to enter into this right relationship with God, it has to be because of something that we do. 
Really, it's going to be because of some level of virtue that we've attained. It's going to be some sort of goodness or religious achievement. It's going to be some religious ritual that, that I do, that you do, that we do, and that gains us access to God, right? No one would come up with this system where, uh, from a human viewpoint at least, that this idea that we're going to be made right by what somebody else does. All of man-made religion has always said, there's got to be something I do. There, this is called human achievement, if you will. Okay, The Jews were very much into that during the Paul, time of Paul, and the truth is they are to this day. They believed and they taught if we were going to have access to God, if we were ever going to be right with God, if we were going to have forgiveness of sins, it would have to be because we have achieved this spiritual level of of enlightenment. Often it's called works-based salvation or maybe a religion of works. It's about what the person does. It's about what the individual does and what they achieve with God. The message we find in the book of Romans, from the very beginning all the way to the very end, is that our access to God and forgiveness of sins is not based off of something that we do. It's not something that we contribute to. It's something that is provided by one person. Okay, And that sounds, I mean, really think about it. That sounds like the easiest thing in the world to accept. But it's not. The question's going to come up, wait a minute. How can one person affect so many? Well, in 1928, there was a man by the name of Alexander Fleming. And he made a discovery. It's called penicillin. And with that one discovery, millions were saved. Fast forward five years. There's a man by the name of Adolf Hitler. He was elected to as chancellor of Germany through a series of electoral college votes. And then... Six million Jews were brutally murdered. You see, by the action of one man, there was millions that were saved. And by the actions of another, millions were murdered. Well, in the scripture we're going to read today, we're going to look at the lives of two men. Okay? And these two men that I'm thinking of undoubtedly had a greater impact on the world than any other two men in the history of time. And you're wondering, well, who are these two men? Who are the two men that have impacted us all more than anybody else? The answer is Adam and Christ. Those are the two men. Well, then you're thinking, why are they so influential? Why are their lives so remarkable? It's because Adam brought death and Christ brought life. And those are the two greatest influence in the histories of time. And so if we're to understand that one person can affect the whole world so drastically, then we have to understand both Adam and Christ. And so Paul closes Romans chapter 5 with a discussion about Adam and Christ in a comparison of these two men and their lives and their actions and what they did. Okay? That's what Paul, you're maybe thinking, why is Paul doing this? Paul just explained in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, he's, he's explained how Jesus Christ in this one work through him, through his death and his burial and his resurrection, impacts all who believe. In other words, because of what one man did, because of what Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross that brought salvation to many. And someone's going to say, well, I don't understand 
I don't understand that, Paul. Could you explain that to me, how the act of one man, Jesus, could affect the whole world? And so Paul, he's a great teacher. And so a great teacher uses a great illustration. He uses this analogy. Let me ask you as you sit there. Are you having trouble accepting the fact that the one act of Jesus can bring salvation to the entire world? Have you ever wondered that? How can what one man do, how can that, how can that be the, the, the vehicle by which people are saved? And if that's you, then we need to look at another man. And that other man that we need to look to had another impact on the effect of the whole world. And that, that one man is the man, Adam. Let's read Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 12. The word of God says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all of us sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there, there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning is not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of one to come. So this is what Paul is saying. He's saying the act of one man, Adam, has affected, or you might say infected, the entire world. This brings me to my first point. Point number one, sin entered the world through one man. Notice in verse 12, it says, therefore, just as sin came to the world through one man. That's what Paul said there. Okay, that's pretty black and white. You don't have to be a great theologian to understand what Paul is trying to say there. Maybe you've asked the question. Maybe you've thought to yourself, hey, Pastor John, why is this world so fallen? Why is this world so broken? Why is this world so very, very wrong? And the answer is because of what one man did, Adam. You want to know why the, way, the world is the way it is? It's Adam's fault. Sin entered the world through one man. But think about this. Sin was not invented by that one man. There was a sin prior to Adam's, and that's the, the sin of Satan. I, Satan was the great archangel. He's in heaven, and I believe if you read the text really carefully, I believe he is, he is God's worship leader in heaven, and he's in heaven. That's a sermon for another day, but he's in heaven, and, and he's leading all the angels and all the praise and honor and glories going to Jesus, and he fell. He fell because of his pride. But the act of Satan did not bring sin into the world, right? It was the action of Adam that brought sin into the world. You see, though Adam was not the very first sinner, Adam became the agent of Satan to bring sin into our world. Okay, the, the devil tempted Adam, and Adam became the vehicle to for the sin to pass from the angelic realm into this realm we live in now called the world. Maybe you're thinking, wait a minute, Pastor John, there was a sin in between those two sins, right? Because Eve sinned before Adam. Well, if you go to Genesis chapter 3, you can read how Eve sinned and then Adam sinned. But yet God held Adam responsible. And here's the reason. Because he sinned willing, willingly. Adam knew better. He wasn't deceived by Satan like his wife was. There was a day when, when God told Adam, he says, Adam, you can do anything you want. 
You got carte blanche. You got the whole place. Do anything. I mean, that's pretty easy rules to follow. He said, but one thing. The one thing you can't do, don't eat to the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. And if you know the story, Abe took the fruit, she ate it, and gave to her husband who was there. In all fairness, okay, we, we like to get on, on Adam, but think, men, think back to your newlyweds. Your wife comes to you naked and holding fruit and says, hey, eat this. What's going to happen? One person laughs. That's hilarious. Are you kidding me? We're all eating that fruit. Like, oh, give me the fruit. Yeah, right? But what this tells us is we're just as guilty as Adam. The sin is basically born out of selfishness. Because how selfish do you have to be to have anything and everything in the world, do whatever you want, but one thing from one tree, there's one fruit, and Adam says, that's the one thing I want. Pride, self-centeredness, it is always at the heart of sin. I mean, think back to Satan. He was in the, in the, in the, the very throne room of God, and he's leading the, the, the worship, and then he says, I will be like God. I will be like the Most High. I will, I will, I will. That's Isaiah 14. You can read it for yourself if you want to. And so now Adam, when he sinned, something terrible happened. The Bible says sin entered the world. There's just this amazing thing when sin came as there was this bodily change that happened that occurred in Adam that wasn't there before because he degenerated from this original perfect identity and became altogether different. There's this now this unholiness that's a part of Adam's very being, the fabric of his soul. Please note, when Paul was mentioning this in Romans chapter 5, he said through one man's sin, singular, not sins, plural. Not all the acts of, of sin came through Adam. He didn't invent every sin imaginable, but this sin principle came through what he did. The same nature, this innate corrupting element entered into the human bloodline. And so Adam was the very first human and so all Adam, or excuse me, all humans came from there moving forward, Adam and Eve. And so this sin principle came to dwell in him. He would pass it on to all of his kids. You ever wish there was a trait that would skip a generation or two? This would be the trait that we'd really want to skip a generation, but it doesn't happen that way. Every single person is corrupted moving forward because of that act of Adam. Just like all of the offspring came from Adam and they, they're going to have characteristics like eyes and ears and nose and toes, we all have this characteristic called sin. And so this one act of Adam, because remember at this point he's the, very, he's the only human, him and his wife, and all of mankind came from them, and since they, he is polluted, now all of the human race is polluted also moving forward. But on a side note, just kind of take a rabbit trail here for a second. God was really saying something when he gave Israel the, the, the mark or the identity to, of circumcision. There was a day when, when God told his chosen people, hey, I want you to circumcise all your male children on the eighth day. Why did God choose that sign? That's kind of a weird sign when you think about it. Cut off that particular piece of, of skin. You know, why didn't God just say, hey, carve an X on your head or on your hand or paint your face blue or something? It's because the cutting off of that skin really demonstrates the fact that human beings need a cleansing. 
that there's something in our life that, that needs to be cut away. There, there's something that needs to be removed from us. And so why did God choose that particular body part to, to be removed? I think the answer is because nowhere is seen more clearly the sinfulness of, of mankind than, than our reproductive ability. Because think about it, God could have done anything. He, he could have given us an extra set of eyelids, and that would have been very telling because what we look at can be very destructive. And he said, well, if you're my people, cut away those eyelids, and that, that identifies you as being me. But that's not what he said. He said it's the cutting off the foreskin. It represents how sinful humans are and how our sin needs to be removed. Circumcision is God's way of saying to his people, you need radical surgery at the very deepest level of your nature, and it's evidenced by the fact that you can produce nothing but sinners, right? All of mankind is there in Adam, and when he sinned, all of humanity followed and was cursed just like Adam. You see, the mark is sin, and we all bear it. And so the whole world, the human race, in Adam, we are polluted moving forward. And so Paul is saying here, he's saying in verse 12, sin came to the world through one man. Because Adam is all of humanity, and this one act of disobedience, the whole human race is corrupted. If you were to read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22, it says, As in Adam all died. Which takes me to my second point. Read verse 12, at least the first half in Romans chapter 5. He says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. Here's my second point for us this morning. Point number two, death entered the world through sin. Now, now that's, what that says, death through sin, do you see that? There it is, very plain, black and white in your Bibles. God said in Adam, he said, excuse me, in, he said to Adam in the book of Genesis, who you're turned back, he would say, for in the day that you eat of it, meaning of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he says, you shall surely die. So because of what Adam did, sin came. And death proves it, right? Someone's going to ask, well, why do I have to die? The answer is plainly is because what Adam did. We need to know that death was not the natural plan. It was not the, the makeup. It wasn't God's intent, initial plan to have people die. But death's this invader, this intruder. Death is the penal consequence of being sin, sinners, because sin destroys, right? Reading Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 4, it says, The soul who sins shall die. So sin brings the death penalty. Maybe you don't like that. I don't like that. But Paul told us earlier, it says, All have sinned, right? So thus we're all sinners, and now we know that everyone is going to die. Every single person. Everyone's going to die because every single person is a sinner. The statistics are pretty remarkable. One out of one in this life, we're all going to die. There's that old saying that says there's nothing sure in this life but death and taxes. I would agree. Sin and death, it can't be separated. These two come together. And so sin came through Adam to humanity. And because of that, Death came through sin. Can you see how these two work together? That's the point that Paul is trying to make. That from Adam came this character, this corruption, and this, this thing we called sin, which leads to death. And since our very nature has been corrupted, 
it leads us all to die. Because we've been corrupted, evil is in us, and that's why we do evil stuff. We're not made sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. Hopefully that makes sense. I'm not a sinner because I sin. I sin because I was born a sinner. And because I was born a sinner, I'm going to die. And I will die physically. You all will die physically. And if I'm dead spiritually, I'm cut off from God. That means I die eternally. And so sin came in the world through one man. Death came through sin. And look what happens. Read that verse again in Romans 5, verse 12. It says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. So here's my third point for us this morning. Point number three. Death's infected everybody. Not real happy point is that. No, that's, that's not a real pick-me-up message. But everyone's been affected by death. Nobody gets off the hook. Because remember, there is none righteous. Paul said, no, not one. And so death came to everybody, so nobody's escaping from the fact of death. Paul is really emphasizing here the sinfulness of everybody due to the sinfulness of Adam. And so one man, one time, one event, it really infected all of human history. And we don't die because of the act of sin that we do. We die because sin is in us. Paul is saying that sin and death has passed to all men because all is sinned. And you're thinking, when did that happen? Review again time. That's Adam. But Paul is, is saying that the proof of this is the fact that everybody in this world dies. Death shows just how sinful we are. And again, it was never the design of God that anybody should ever die. But now we're all babies. Excuse me, we're all sinners. We're going to my next point. We're all sinners, but before birth, has anybody sinned? The truth is no. We are born with a sin nature, but in the moment when a baby is born in in the world, have they committed one act of sin? The truth is no, they don't. They have not. They themselves have not committed one act of sin, yet the most tragic thing in this whole world is when a baby dies. During my 10 years as a pastor, I have done dozens and dozens and dozens of funerals. But the worst, the most tragic, the most heart-wrenching is when a baby dies. Why? Because they had their whole life to live. They had their whole life to live. They had not committed one act of sin. And that was not the plan of God that a baby should ever die when he declared the world to be good. Death of any kind, especially the death of baby, was not God's plan. And yet all of human history has been affected and infected by death because of this sin. Paul says that we were born born dead in our trespasses and sin. He said that to the church in Ephesus. So death is universal. All die. Children die. Nice people die. Evil people die. Everybody dies. And if there's a universal effect, well, then there must be a universal cause. Right? And the universal cause is the total depravity of man, the whole human race, because we all sinned in Adam. Our depravity is not a result of our sin, it's a result of Adam's sin. So maybe you're thinking, well, how bad is it, Pastor John? Just how bad is this thing called the depravity of man? We'll read it in Psalms 51, verse 5. 
the word of God says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. From the very beginning, from conception on, we're all shaped in iniquity. Read Psalms 58, verse 3. It says, the wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray from birth, speaking lies. Jump to Jeremiah 17, verse 9. It says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Job 14, verse 4 says, who can bring a clean thing out of an, a clean thing out of an unclean? There is not one. And so back to the fact that every single one of us will someday die. And it's all because of Adam. Sin came through one man, death came through sin, and so death spread to all because all have sinned, right? Keep going, look in verse 13. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not, is not counted where there is no law. Yet, see that word yet? Yet, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning is not like the transgression of Adam who was a type, who was one to come. Here's my fourth point for us this morning. Point number four. Death spread through all because all have sinned. Do you see in verse 14 where, it's, where Paul says death reigned? How do we know that everyone is under the curse of sin? How do we know that everyone was victimized by what Adam did? How do we know that? Because of what Paul just said. He said death reigned. There are some people that, that think that everybody comes in this world and, and you're born completely innocent and then you choose to sin on your own. You break God's law and, and then so that's on you. But Paul said in that text, he says, death reigned. He said, death reigned from Adam to Moses. And you're thinking, why is that important? Why is that little parenthetical phrase put on there from Adam to Moses? Because before Moses, there was no law. Remember, God gave the law, but he gave it to a man through, through Moses. But there was people before Moses, right? We think that if there isn't a law against something, then it isn't a crime to break the law. Because there's no law, right? At least that's the way we think. That's the way we play it out in our mind. And yet, people are dying. And then gave, God gave the law through, through Moses. So what's given? Shouldn't people just live forever? After Adam sinned and then Moses doesn't come for years later, shouldn't everybody just continue to live forever and ever and ever because the law doesn't come until Moses, right? If breaking the law is a crime and the breaking of the law is punishable on death, shouldn't everybody just live forever from Adam until Moses? But then Paul comes along and he says, death reigned from Adam to Moses. What's he talking about? Why does he say that? Well, very simply because everybody dies. Paul is destroying this idea, this, this theology that somebody will say that, that, that no one is really sinning unless they're directly, overtly violating the law. If you're thinking like that, then someone, will says, someone, someone says it's only breaking the law if you intentionally broke it, right? But there's a heart behind the law. That's why Jesus can come on the scene and say stuff like, well, if you look at a woman with lust... You're guilty of adultery. Remember when Jesus said that? The law was written in the hearts of all men. Paul had spoken this earlier back in Romans chapter 2. Let's review Romans chapter 2 verse 15. Paul says, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. 
while their conscience also bears witness and their, con- their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. And so sin and death were passed to everybody and the proof of this is that everybody dies, right? Everybody's even dying before the law was written, which means that sin doesn't need the law to exist, That sin existed before the law. And Paul goes on to say in verse 14, he says, Death reigned even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. What in the world is Paul talking about there? Here it is very simply. Adam sinned, okay, which was in direct violation, a direct commandment. God said, don't do this, and he did it. That's a sin. God said, don't eat of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. Well, don't do it. And Adam did it. And someone's going to come along and say, well, well, sure, Adam did that because he was directly defying God. And then Paul comes along and he says, death reigned from Adam to Moses over people who weren't even directly violating the law, right? Because the law wasn't even written and yet people are dying. Why? It's because of the sin principle. The corrupt nature of mankind was literally killing them. So it was sin that was in man, and before there was law, people are still dropping dead, right? And the proof of this is that that mankind received the sinful nature at birth, which is proof that it's being passed down from the original sinner, who is Adam. So here's Paul's whole point. All of human history, from Adam on, sinners. Every single one. You don't have to know there's a law to be a sinner, before the law was broken, sin, or excuse me, before the law was written, sinners, whether you're in direct or indirect violation of God's law. So that means whether you're an ignorant pagan or you, you know the law completely, you're a sinner. You're a sinner at the deepest level. And the proof of this is that everyone dies, right? Man, this is some deep stuff, and I'm not feeling so good right now. But Paul says through one man, Adam, one act of disobedience, the whole human race is plunged into death. And then Paul says, maybe you want to underline this in your Bible. It's a great verse. Verse 14, he says, Adam, who was a type of one who was to come. I don't want you, but when I was studying these verses, verse 12 through the first half of 14, it's dark. It's like, man, this is, this is hard stuff, Paul. I need, I need a pick-me-up. I need to feel better right now because the weight of what you're saying is so, so deep. I don't know if I can, I can preach it. And Paul gives me this pick-me-up pick speech. He says, Adam, who was a type of one to come. So if you're a Christian, it's not because of what you did. I was born a sinner. And throughout my life, I've done a, a whole lot of sinning. And guess what? I'm really good at it. That's true for me, and it's true for you too. And all of my kids are sinners because they inherited their sinfulness from their daddy, just like you inherited yours, right? But Adam pointed to one who is to come. And since I am not the first cause of my sinfulness, I will also not be the first cause of my righteousness. That's why God calls it a gift. Read in Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 15. This is what Paul says. He says, but the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift of by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, bound for many. 
And the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. For judgment following the one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespass brought justification. You know, there are some people that come up with this idea and they'll say, you know what, if it was me, it'd be completely different. Because I would not have chosen to sin. If I was in Adam's shoes, then it would, it would have gone down completely different. I would have chosen to be obedient. I would have never uh, sinned. I would have done what God told me to do. And so then it, if, it would be completely different if I was in the garden. There's people that say that. And if you're thinking like that, then you're probably also thinking, then why am I responsible? Why do I get affected from, from Adam's disobedience? How can it that I can sin in Adam when I wasn't even thought of yet? I wasn't born, and I, so I wasn't even there. And if, you're, if, you're, if that's your line of thinking, then this is what Paul is saying. He's saying, well, if you're not condemned by the act of one man, then you can't be redeemed by the act of one man either. If you're not a sinner because of Adam, then you can't be redeemed by Jesus. That's what he's saying. And so if you're asking the question, how am I responsible for what Adam did? Then your question needs to be, how can I be redeemed by what Christ did? The answer, that's the plan of God. This is God's plan from the very beginning. In this text, Paul is using a sermon illustration, if you will. He's saying it's like when one man, Adam, died, everybody died that followed. But with Jesus, this one act, it brought life to many I challenge you, if you want to mark your Bibles, go back and underline all the minis and much more that's in this text we're covering today, because there's a bunch. It's amazing. How much greater is this gift? How much more wonderful is the gift? That's what Paul is saying, because these two things are not the same. Adam, what he did was terrible. What Christ did was wonderful, and they're different in every way imaginable. They're, very di- they're different in their essence. It was Adam's disobedience that cursed everybody, but Christ's obedience brings salvation to many. They're different in a sense of what they bring. Adam's sin produces nothing but sin. But it was one act of sin that was producing nothing but the sin. One act brought one effect. Can you read that in the text? But it was Christ's one act of righteousness that brought eternal, unending, infinite blessedness upon blessedness upon blessedness. With one, with one effect with Adam, sin and death, that's all you get. But with Christ, it's just too many to list. We'll be here all day if I, if I start listing what, what, Christ, what, what comes with Christ, right? Often someone will say, sin brings death. And Jesus brings life. That's true, but that's not the whole story. There's so many good things. I can't even list it all. Adam equals sin and death. Jesus equals too much good stuff to list, right? So these two things are not the same. They're different in every way. And yet the point is this. One man, one act can have immense impact. Keep reading Romans 5 verse 17. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned, through the one man's man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in the life through one man, Jesus Christ. Can you hear how amazing this thing called salvation is? 
Adam brought sin, so I'm infected. And there's nothing I can do to save me. And then Jesus brings his righteousness. So when it comes to a right standing with God, I can't earn it. You can't earn it. We can't win it. We can't do some religious act that's going to appease God. We cannot gain access to God by what we do. Well, you can't do it with your morality, with your ethics, with your life. You can do nothing to contribute to it. It's all a work of one. Jesus Christ, he accomplished salvation. And it's available to you by grace, through faith. That's it. Can you see how this all works together? One man polluted the whole race. We accept that, don't we? Adam polluted the whole race. Then why don't we accept that one man can save the whole human race? Often we don't accept that. We want to say there's many ways that that we can be saved. But Paul says, no, there's one man. Through one man, Adam, sin, condemnation, death, damnation. Through one man, Jesus, righteousness, promise, glory. What a contrast, right? There's someone thinking, well, I was just born this way. Yeah, you're right. You were born this way. You're born a sinner. There's a song by Lady Gaga by that title. Don't listen to it. It's terrible. Beginning to end, it's terrible. Don't listen to it. But then she says, I was born this way. She also says, God doesn't make mistakes. You're right. That's, that part, she's right. That part's true. The rest of the song, terrible. Don't listen to it. We're all born this way. We're all born sinners. Do we deserve to be born in sin? No, not really. But it happened because of Adam. Do we deserve to be forgiven? Absolutely not. We don't deserve that either. And yet here's Jesus Christ, the God-man. He comes and he does, does absolutely everything that I need, that you need, so we can be made right with God. I can add nothing to the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Because Jesus paid it all. Just like that old hymn says, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin has left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Keep reading. Pick it up in verse 18. Therefore, just as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many... See that many? You might want to underline that one. Many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abound all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace might also reign through the righteousness leading to the eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Here's my fifth and final point for us this morning. Point number five. The gift of grace is greater than the penalty of sin. Paul says that it was one act of righteousness that leads to our justification. Paul is really treating the entire life of Jesus as like one act here, what he's doing here. As one act of righteousness rather than all the acts of righteousnesses, if that's even a word that he did. Because if you're to point to one act of Christ, one act of Christ, what saved you? I think most of us say, well, the death on the cross, that's, that's a good one. That's very top of the list. But what about the act of his resurrection from the grave? 
That's, that's high up on the list too. But what happened, but what also, what happened at the Garden of Gethsemane? Remember when he was arrested and they grabbed him and betrayed by a kiss and they punched him and they spit on his face and they pulled his beard? If there was one moment of anger, Jesus would not have been the, the sinless lamb of God, right? One act of sin would have disqualified Jesus of being our Savior. Think about this. Jesus lived for 33 years. If there was one immoral thought in his entire life, that would disqualify Jesus from being the spotless lamb of God. But yet he lived his whole life without one immoral thought? That's how Paul can point to the whole life of Jesus and count it as one. That righteousness, Paul says in verse 18, he says, one act of righteousness which leads to justification and life for all men. The righteousness of Jesus became the basis of our acceptance with God. Christ's righteousness is counted as our righteousness because of a believer that places faith in Jesus Christ. And you see what Paul is trying to drive home here? Verse 19 supports this by saying another way to make sure we get the point. Paul says, for, by the, for as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many were made righteous. Do you see Paul's point? That our righteousness before God, our justification is not based off of what we do. It's off of what Christ did. His whole life, his righteous act, his obedience is counted, or you might say imputed. We've been talking about this for a long time. His life was imputed to us. We are made or counted or appointed as righteous as Jesus is. So, the, the, so it's a real righteousness, right? And it's really ours because of that imputation that Paul's been driving home this whole time. In verse 19, Paul made the statement, one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Because all men have been corrupted in Adam. Hopefully you got that. We spent a lot of time driving that home in this message. We're all sinners. And death is proof of this because everyone dies. But is everyone justified by what Jesus did? Is every single human being on the planet justified because of what Jesus did? And there's some that say, yes, Jesus saved us all. But Paul didn't say all. He said many. Many and all do not mean the same thing, right? There's a teaching that's been going around. It's as old as time itself. It says that everyone's saved. It's It's called universalism. This is the idea that I'm right, you're right, she's right, we're all right. But that's not what the Bible says. I want to take you back to John chapter 3. Jesus is having a conversation with Nicodemus. I mentioned this verse earlier, but in verse 16, Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life and that's the verse we all know we got that memorized down pat we can just say it at the drop of a hat but what does verse 17 and 18 say that same verse is right after that what does it say well let's read it john chapter 3 verse 17 jesus says for god did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already 
because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Can you hear the words of Jesus? Do you get it so crystal clear? The world might be saved through him. And then Jesus says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but, who, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. The whole world is under condemnation. But if you place saving faith in Jesus Christ, God gives you this gift. It's his righteousness. And that's what it takes to get into heaven, the righteousness of Christ. All human beings, whatever you've done, no matter how sinful you might think, the righteousness of Christ is greater. It's much more than that sin. And so then we're accepted, not on a basis of our righteousness, but on a a basis of Christ's righteousness. Not on a a basis of your obedience, but Jesus' obedience, if you believe. But here's the final question. Do you believe? That's the bottom line. Do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus is God come in the flesh and the stripes that he took, it was for my sins, it was for your sins. The nails on the, on the cross, it was for my sins, it was your sins. The blood that he shed, it was righteous enough to cover what I have done and what you have done. The Bible says whoever calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. If you've never called on him, call on him now. Dear God, I'm a sinner. You died for me. Save me my sins. I give you my life. And I pray this in your holy, precious name. Amen.